0: This is the Do Better podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis.
1: to talk about um, autism acceptance. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin.
0: All right, Megan, welcome, and I'm so excited that we're here together again. It's been a hot minute, but uh, I know there has been a lot of things that has happened since we last got together. So, how are you doing, first of all?
1: I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm doing well, I guess. I, You know, I think everyone, we're just like all at this point where it's like, is this done yet? Are we done with the pandemic? Is it, are we done? It's over?
0: Yeah. You got Um, your first shot, right?
1: I have, I've had both of my shots, so I'm fully vaccinated, Um, and I I actually get to go on my first work trip um, on the 22nd of April. So about a week after this comes out, I will be on a plane for the first time in 15 months. And I could not be more excited about that. Wow, I need to see like- other humans in real life. I was thinking about it the other day. <laughs> so I have, I see Blake and I see my mm-hmm. child and then I occasionally see my um, people that I work with here, Jennifer and Justin, and I occasionally see my parents. And then like, even less, I might see my friend, Nah, and my friend, Megan Kirby. That's it. Those are like the humans I have engaged with for the <laughs> last year in person. I'm like, what? I, Joe, <laughs> this is so funny. So I was in St. Augustine and yeah. I'm walking down the street and um, there's this lady holding a plate of something and it looked yummy. So I was like, mm, let me see what you have there that I can eat. And it was soap. <laughs> good thing. I didn't need it. But she was like, Oh, would you like to try this soap? And I was like, sure. And then she was like, and we have all this face stuff in here. Would you like to come check it out? And I've had it on my list for a while that I want to get like a new face routine because I'm going to start seeing people in person again. So it's been on my list. You can ask Claire. I did a whole thing with her of like sending money. And if I met my goals, she'd send it back to me. So I'd have money to spend on my face stuff. And I get in there and like, there's one dude that I interacted with who like was selling me on something. He gave me like four different high fives. And I was like, first of all, pandemic, I shouldn't even be responding to this right now, but I just, there was a lot of pressure
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <I high-fived> him <laughs> back.
1: And I like, after each one, I was like, I should not be doing this right now. Um, <laughs> but if, I was like, this is the first high five I've had in a year. <laughs> like what? And
0: you got it. You had your first high five with a stranger. I know.
1: And then, Um, so he sends me over to this lady who wants to show me some other thing that they have. And when I finished with her, she gave me a hug (laughs) and I was like, what is happening right now? Why am I hugging a stranger? And I haven't even hugged some of my favorite people, (laughs) but it was just like, so weird, you know, like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) it's been a year since I've not only high-fived or hugged people, but literally talked to people because I don't go shopping. I haven't been in a grocery store in over a year. That's just for fun. Um, I (laughs) like to do online shopping. I'm not scared of grocery stores or anything, but it's just like convenient. And then Mm -hmm. like, I haven't gone clothes shopping. I've gone, I guess I've interacted with the cashier at Target and I've interacted with like my chiropractor, but that's it. Like I had not even like registered (laughs) how deprived of stuff I've been for the last (laughs) year. so then when I'm like why am I in such this state of like I can't knock stuff out and like I'm just like feeling blah and then that happened this weekend and I was like or this week and I was like oh hmm." so that's me
0: (laughs) wow I mean on the same note my wife and I last night we went to our first movie and over like
1: what you went to a movie
0: yeah we went to movie
1: no way
0: yeah so (laughs) Up here, you remember Cinema Cafe, right?
1: Oh, yeah. You've been talking about that, please.
0: Yeah, I love Cinema Cafe. We love it. Um, So we were like, okay, Godzilla and King Kong versus King Kong. Okay. We want to see this movie. Uh, We were going to watch on HBO. I came home last night. She was like, okay, this is another thing. What do you want for dinner? I'm like the least picky person in the planet. Like I can eat anything. I can find something. And she asked me, What do you want for dinner? I'm like, Anything. <laughs> so uh, she's like, What are you in the mood for? So then automatically it registers in my mind. It's Friday night. We haven't been to the movies. And she did tell me that Cinema Cafe was open. So I was like looking for movies and seeing what was open. And they had a showing. And um, this cinema cafe, you know, they used to have the stadium seating where um, you had your like desk in front of you, and then you had your computer chair. Well, that's completely gone now. They have the reclining sofas. Oh wow! And reclining chairs, and I'm like sold because I know I have another space of six feet in between me and the other people.
1: <laughs> do they do it on purpose? Yes. Okay. So
0: if you book a ticket, automatically, the next two seats are X'd out. No one can sit there. Okay. And it's a smaller theater, so it wasn't as crowded. So, and of course, I mean, like the movie tickets were like $7.50 too. I was like, uh, sold, let's go. <laughs> and then I was sharing her picture and it was like, hey, uh, do you want to go? She's like, yes, let's go uh so we went and of course our favorite thing to do is eat i mean like eat while watching the movie so of course i gotta get my chick i gotta get my chicken fingers in okay i love chicken fingers when i go there (laughs) it's such a kid thing but it's just so good so um we went we had a great time we saw the movie uh we felt like it was safe and um you know Tons of hand-washing and (laughs) social distancing, yeah. But it was great. It it was a great time. I I loved it. Um, My wife and I are both vaccinated too, so that helped.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So, but yeah, it was such an awesome experience. And it's been something that like we've been missing because this is like, that was like our Friday night. We would go at least twice a month. Oh wow. If not more. Yeah. If not more, that was their date night. And, uh, it's glad I'm glad that it's back now. So we already have like four movies that we want to go see in the next couple months because quiet place two is coming out. That was the, that movie is amazing. (laughs) Uh, the original Quiet place. Amazing. Um, black widow. I might go by myself because I love superhero movies, but um, I have to see that one. And then I think another one that's coming out that's re- that looks really good. Is I lost it. I, I lost it, Megan. I can't I'm think sorry. of what the other me- It's okay.
1: <laughs> I don't even, I've paid zero attention to movies coming out. <laughs> so.
0: See, that's where like, like for me, like my wife and I are such a movie, like movie buffs and we love movies. So um <laughs> I should know what it is because it's like on a list, but it's okay.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad that we're both starting to get back to nor- more normal things.
0: Um yes.
1: And hopefully I'll continue to have a little bit more of an upbeat engagement each time we meet this is our first podcast episode we've done with just the two of us in like a really long time
0: i know like like a really long i
1: can't even remember when the last time was
0: i don't even know either like i mean we have we had because
1: we we had um we did the one with adrian and tiana we had michael and hillary we had um there was one that I did with Julie or we did Ryan and then yeah. I had Julie and um, uh, was a researcher. I can't remember her name right now. Then we had one with Adrian by herself. Like I, I just don't even remember maybe no. toileting. It must've been toileting a long time ago.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. sleep that Toilet- rings a bell.
1: toileting or sleep. I can't remember which one we did last, but it was one of those two. So like over the summer, <laughs> it's almost yeah. been a year. <laughs>
0: what's going on megan
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness okay and this time last year we were like being ambitious and putting out like two episodes a month because we didn't have anything else to do so uh,
0: yeah exactly we were quarantined and you know we were you know and that was like when i was still a teacher but you know had my summer off
1: yeah 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 All right. Well, so today um, it's April and this is our episode. We're recording a whole five days before it has to go out (laughs) for (laughs) April. Um, And it's so, you know, there's I'm sure everyone's seen the post and things about it being autism acceptance month. It, you know, years ago was initially called autism awareness month, but everyone's fully aware, I think, at this point. And now the the big push is to have autism acceptance month. So we wanted to talk about that a little bit and just kind of dive in on um, on Joe and I's experiences as behavior analysts around autism acceptance. And I do want to kind of give this caveat for our listeners that we're having this conversation to mm-hmm. model having this conversation. Like we're yeah. probably going to say things that might not be accurate um, or like where people want us to be on things. Like, especially if they've been doing work longer on this than we have, um, that understanding that like everyone's in a different place and understanding various aspects of the world period. Right. So, um, we hope that our listeners will listen to this from a place of curiosity and, um, you know, any, we welcome any feedback, um, obviously, because that's how we grow and learn, but we also want, we're, we're putting ourselves out here to explain and sort of, um, help others understand like that where we've got, what we've learned about, what we've gone through, what we still want to go through, what concerns we have and hope that that will give uh, give others the permission, the space to sort of do those same reflections and think about those things. It is kind of less motivating to have these conversations though if there's this like um, tendency for people to just kind of hang on to like any mistake we might make while we're talking today. So I'm not saying, I mean, we're obviously going to make mistakes. We're going to, like I said, you know, not say that all the right things. Um, And we want to learn from that, but we also don't want to be like dragged through the coals or (laughs) punished severely (laughs) for trying to talk about our experiences with, um, you know, growth and and trying to, to better understand different topics in the field. So With that being said, um, the first thing that we were going to talk about today. Oh, I should also preface this to Joe and I don't do a whole lot of prep for our podcast because we're both just very busy people. This one, um, we've our schedules have been pretty chaotic with spring breaks and um, with just a lot of like treatment planning and things on Joe's end. So we know what questions we want to talk about, but we also wanted this to be like a really authentic conversation and just really you know, discussing where things have been for us. So we really didn't do any like pre like notes or anything like that for this one. Um, usually I, we each have like a few bullet points, but we decided to make this a little bit more of a, just a conversation, um, to really just whatever comes to mind first, we're just going to kind of share. Um, the first question is what is our history with being aware, um, of like autism acceptance, um, anything relating to like the neurodiversity movement, any of those types of things. So um, especially thinking too about like graduate school and like your training um, or, you know, Joe, when you were in school for education and then me when I was getting my PhD. So any of those like areas where, you know, there's a history of we were being trained on some things and where how did like autism awareness, autism acceptance, neurodiversity, any of those types of things come up. So do you want to go first or do you want me to? I'll
0: go first. I, I think, I mean, I think, thank you for giving that caveat. I think that's great because we are coming in from a place of, you know, curiosity and we're trying to do better and trying to model having these hard conversations. So then we all can do better in a field. Um, so like for me, like I know when I was going through my graduate program, my bachelor's Um, even in ABA, um, just do my ABA course, coursework, it was still known as autism awareness month. So with that being said, like a lot of the coursework, when I was going through to be a special ed teacher, we were just being taught, um, what it means, what symptoms or, um, what, um, autism is basically we were just being aware. I mean, we were just being taught to be aware of it. And, you know, that not everyone's, not every child that you come across is going to be the same. Um, And I think we're, we were still using like movies, like um, just different movies, like back in the eighties, nine, early nineties to explain that, You know, just because this movie shows an autistic person doesn't mean that this, this is the same for uh, this autistic person is not the same for everyone. You're not going to come across this. Like everyone's different. And I think like with my background, like that's where a lot of my teaching from graduate school and my undergrad came from. Um, Now, even now, like it's now turning the tide to this neurodiv- um, this neurodiversity movement and being aware, um, not aware, but accepting um, people who are autistic um, and just coming from to that place where now, how can we accept them as who they are? So I don't know if you had anything to add, Megan.
1: It sounds pretty similar to my experience. So when I was in, when I was an undergrad, it didn't come up at all. Yeah. <laughs> and I also wasn't in this field. I was in psychology, but it just it didn't it wasn't really a thing. Um, I don't even think autism speaks existed then or anything. And then when I was in graduate school, um, I think that was kind of starting. Uh, we did have a class on developmental disabilities where we learned like you were kind of saying, like what the different, different diagnoses were and things like that. Um, but we didn't really learn a whole lot about acceptance or person-centered planning or, or any of those types of things. Um, and even in, in my master's program, there wasn't a whole lot. I, I still don't think there was a lot happening. It wasn't until I think I moved to Virginia. Um, and the local Tidewater Autism Society had, um, you know, every year they did like an autism walk or whatever. And we got involved with that. Um, and that's, I guess, kind of my first memory of like there being a lot. And then of course, lighted up blue. And, um, I got mad because our HOA wouldn't let us put a blue light in our development and all that. Um, and even then, when when all of that so that was like 2010 timeframe. I wasn't really seeing anything um, about like alternative perspectives or anything. Um, it was all very much centered around the the parents and the the support people <laughs> for you yeah. know like showing um, you know that that they were in the lives of um, of an autistic person. Um, And, and it really was all focused around awareness and and those types of things. Then, um, when I went to, I will say, and I've, I've talked about this before, our ethics pro like training and whatnot at FSU was of course, top notch with Dr. Bailey. And there was a huge focus in our ethics course and just our courses in general on like not, um, sort of going down the route that behavior analysis had gone before with like Sunland Miami scandal and things like that. And like the utmost importance of like being respectful of the the learners that you were with and like your clients and all of that type of stuff. So um, it wasn't specific to a certain diagnosis. It was just in general, like you will humanely treat (laughs) the people that you are working with. Um, But then when I went to Ohio State, I was just reflecting on kind of, it's interesting because we, Ohio state, and this is one of the things that just jumps out at me overall with a lot of the things happening with like diversity, equity, and inclusion right now. It's like so hard once you start seeing it to like not notice it everywhere, but this is a huge focus at Ohio state on diversity, equity, and inclusion. We had to take like numerous courses on diversity, even like attend outside things where we would like have to find something in the community and attend that, um, There was like a specific one hour or two hour like training we had to go to that we had to like go to on our own time that wasn't part of a class but we had to complete it before we finished and part of that was the grant we were on but every single one of those things disability was not discussed period like it just wasn't right so like there's you know all sorts of education we're receiving on like the differences in race and like the presence of racism and systemic racism and a lot of it was around racism. Um, but there was still like, even the one, the one training we had to do that was like on our own time, that was a few hours long. They, there was a lot of different things discussed, um, that, uh, around like sexual orientation and, um, gender. And even like, the I'll never forget like how, like, it was basically like how you might you know, unknowingly like offend someone and like how to respond to that. And like the guy gave an example of like one time he said, um, he was, you know, he was starving and his friend who, um, had lived in poverty and like experienced starvation was very hurt by him saying that because it was like the guy hadn't eaten for a few hours. (laughs) So he was like, you don't know what starving is. Right. Um, so like even things like that came up of like these, like, Sayings you might say that like you don't even realize could cause someone else to like have a hard time or whatever. But still no discussion around disability, um, around any any of the things that are kind of coming up, um especially on like social media right now and stuff like that. And and still the big focus, like I I did some work with Autism Speaks um at Ohio State because they needed some help from like they had, there's requirements for student organizations and they needed uh, a person to like be something. I don't remember what it was, but I was that person. <laughs> um, and, and so like I helped with some of their fundraisers and things like that. And, um, in at that time, so that was like 2012, there was starting to be like more pushback on autism speaks and like the actually autistic movement was coming and, um, and that kind of thing. But they like all of my interactions with whether it was the Ohio state program or in Virginia, when we were getting licensure passed, like it, everything that was being done was beneficial, um, that mm-hmm. I could see. And, um, and it, you know, typical nonprofit, big nonprofit criticisms, um, just like the red cross and some of the other ones where it's like, where's that money going? Um, but in terms of like seeing, you know, the benefit for the families that I was working with, it was huge. I didn't, um, fully understand some of the criticisms that I was hearing even at that time of like, well, listen to how the parents are talking about their kids. Um, you know, what what about it when that kid is an adult someday and he watches that video of his mom talking about wanting to kill him when he was three, right? And I, like, I didn't connect with it. Like, it was just like, well, that's just, you know, kind of like, well, the bad isn't, as you know, the good outweighs the bad kind of stuff. And I never really took the time to like fully process it or like, especially perspective take and think about like, if, what if I was autistic and I saw these ads and then I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I shouldn't exist. People just want me to die. Right. Like if Mm -hmm. we, if that was said about any other thing, like blondes or um, you know, redheads or (laughs) women or like transsexual, like any other thing, if a commercial came out like that, it would have been like, there would have been such huge protests and like things. And of course that particular commercial came out before social media and like all the cancel culture stuff. Like if something like that came out now, I'm sure it would get shut down pretty quickly. But even then, like I just didn't, it didn't register for me, like why that was so problematic. Um, But, you know, obviously, as we talk about some of the other questions, I'll touch on kind of how that shifted and and changed for me over time. I will say on the other angle though, so this was like ignorance, oblivious, all of those things. Like I was getting no sounds like you too, like no training yeah. or like discussion around any of it. Um, I was, I was very intrigued in my like early twenties, uh, by memoirs books. Um, so like I read a bunch of different memoirs of various authors and then that led, once I started working in autism, I started seeking out memoirs from autistics. So I, you know, I read Tempo Granin, everybody was reading Tempo Granin but yeah. I read, um, Donna Williams and I read um, Donna Prince Hughes, and I read uh, Sean Cohen, Sean Barron. I always forget which one because there's an actual different person with the name Sean Barron Cohen. I think it's Sean Barron. Anyway, so I was reading all of those, and I and that was really um, interesting, and I was learning a lot from like those types of books. But still, I wasn't necessarily like seeking out anything beyond that. And then I've also talked about, I can't remember if it was in a difficult discussion, um, but I was so fortunate to meet William in Panama City, who is autistic. And even though he wasn't super stoked about meeting me initially, (laughs) when he found out I was a behavior analyst, he was, um, you know, open to like talking with me. And we sort of, I learned a lot, you know, with my interactions with him and becoming his friend and, and getting to have those conversations. And there was a a couple, um, this kind of goes back a little bit, but there was one family in Panama City that was very anti-ABA um, at that time, but they still like, they would like come and go on like trying to get services because they would reach certain points where it was like they they needed something. Um, so I, I kind of got to learn a little bit from them as well, but it was more like, oh, these are the outliers kind of situation. Well, William never was like, William was always just like, I am so grateful to like, know this man. Um, but like that family, it was like, well, this is an outlier. (laughs) Like they're different. Um, whatever their like concerns are about this, like aren't real. Um, and we'll show them a different way kind of thing. It wasn't, I never really took it seriously, if that makes sense. Um, but that was in the past. So we'll talk about where we currently are, uh, with things as well. Do you have any thoughts or questions? I know I just said a lot of stuff.
0: (laughs) No, 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 that's, that, that's, that's neat. I mean, not, not neat that the fact that our background is very similar, like where we were at, because like it sounded like sounds like a lot. Both of us didn't have a whole lot of experience from when we were being taught about um, being um, neurodiversity or um, autism acceptance, like that wasn't in any training that we has had. We had well, um, in our college courses.
1: Yeah. Which is just well, fascinating considering we both did, um, like you did education. I did my PhD in special education, and then I have my master's and undergrad in psychology. Like that never came up.
0: Yeah. Special <laughs> education, ABA coursework, um, uh, <laughs> even in just i mean even in just like like gen ed classes like philosophy or um like any of our ethic like i went to a small catholic university they definitely had a couple i had a couple classes on our religion um but none of that ever came up yeah and it's just fascinating that you know it it's not just like psychology or ABA but in general like people aren't being like I mean from our time we, no one was being trained or taught that unless you're you had an awesome program that yeah yeah but I mean like it, it's just fascinating to see that how far like I mean like how I mean that wasn't that long ago either no <laughs> No, I mean,
1: we're, I'm, I feel, you know, I'm older, but I'm not like that old.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. you yeah. What, what, like six months old,
1: older than I am. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't know if we've talked. I don't about even know. <laughs> well, that's it off air. We'll talk about that, Joe, Um yeah, right. but my birthday is coming up in a month. So anyway,
0: Oh, we're going um, to celebrate that. Huh? We'll have to have like a celebration birthday. Yeah. On the podcast.
1: That'll be fun. All right. So, um, so that's our history. Basically, we didn't have one. (laughs) I mean, we had, (laughs) we had had a non-exam, like a not, not encountering period. Um, Okay. So the next question I had then is like, what are we currently encountering or like, have we recently encountered over the past few years and um, and what are we seeking out? How are we processing it? Like, what's our current understanding of um autism acceptance neurodiversity like anything around that topic area so i don't know if you want to go first again or if you want me to go first
0: i'll let you go first this time
1: okay this is going to be a kind of a long answer so so i will say that despite you know reading the different books i was reading and, and really having the training of um you know having the highest respect for my clients, even doing the work I've been doing for the past 11 years on alternatives to traditional escape extinction and providing more compassionate and humane interventions. um, It wasn't until probably last year (laughs) that I really understood um, the importance of incorporating and like listening to autistic voices. So, Part of the reason, if you know, I'm being honest, is anytime besides William, anytime I had the opportunity to really interact with, it was online in like a text based format. I d- did not know the people, they did not know me. And the interactions just never went well. It was very aversive, it was very, um, very much like, people criticizing me without even knowing me um, is what it felt like. Right. And I think a lot of us can relate to that. And um, I, I initially uh, like in 2009, when I encountered those types of things, I would try to like engage with it and explain and, and whatnot. I didn't, I didn't see it as like my, I saw my, it was from my ego really. Like I was like, well, I know better than this. And, and like, I'll show you that we're better than what you're talking about. Like I had personally experienced and been trained in the ways that these people were criticizing, but I also wanted them to know that like, there are better ways. And I was coming, it was coming from my ego, but also for my clients, right? Because I had seen the great, amazing progress that the clients I had, had made. And I just couldn't stand the idea that there could be a family out there that had a child who would benefit from ABA intervention not seek it out because of you know what they were seeing from anti-ABA or, or you know I mean I don't want to equate them but like most of the anti-ABA stuff that I see is from people that are part of the neurodiversity movement right so to me they're they're equal but I know they're not really you can be part of the neurodiversity movement and still support ABA so I don't want it to come off that way completely but that was my experience. Um, so I So that was like my initial, like in 2009, it was kind of just like, let me try to help explain and like see a better way, blah, blah, blah. That never really went anywhere and it became very frustrating and stressful and I didn't like it. Um, So instead of again, seeing it as a learning opportunity or anything though, I just sort of disconnected from it. So like anytime I would see criticisms or whatnot, I would be like, I know I'm doing good work and I'm going to keep doing the good work that I'm doing and be respectful of my clients and be humane and compassionate and help others learn to do it that way too. And, you know, hopefully over time, things will shift, but I, I didn't see like why I needed to, um, to pay any attention to those criticisms, especially because I was one of the good ones. (laughs) Like, why would I need to do that? Um, so then, um, that, you know, Again, I think like some people have heard this in various like Facebook lives and stuff that I've done, but having it all in one place is nice as well. So, um, you know, last spring there was the whole situation where there was a Facebook post um, that I made about the Cards Against Humanity game, just the game. It wasn't the ABA version, it was just the game. And it was actually right around this time. It was about a week ago this time. Mm -hmm. And I said like, oh, maybe we should play this at a social event we're having. And then Jeff Newman commented and he was like, what, you know, something about like, well, are we ever gonna talk about, you know, the harm that was caused by the ADA version of Cards Against Humanity? And I was in the middle of hosting a conference and I was like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. Like Jeff Newman, get out of here. So I just like deleted his comment and then like went on my merry way. Um, and he messaged me and he was furious that I did that. And I'm not gonna go into detail because we have a whole difficult discussion, the card gate one. I'll post the link in the show notes. But um, we, you know, kind of dive in on on what all happened there. But long story short, Jeff, you know, taught me that like what I why what I did wasn't appropriate and how like harmful it could be. Um, And we ended up having like an open discussion about the cards against humanity. And then it just really opened my eyes to like how lacking not just our field, but society in general is on this topic, like on disability, broadly speaking, and then on like autism, the autistic culture, just like the autistic experience, like, and of course, it's not just the autistic experience, like every autistic is going to describe different experiences, likely, Mm -hmm. Um, they may have similar ones, but there's just, you know, it's not, I don't want it to come off, like I'm saying, like, there's one autistic experience, that's not the case, Um, but I, and I, and to be fair, like I had gone to conferences and seen, you know, some of the leading people speak and I always enjoyed those presentations, but I I wasn't seeking out more information and trying to really like grapple with like, how am I part of the problem? You know, it was like, I'm doing good work. I'm good. We're good. Um, So throughout uh, the past year, basically, because it was a year year ago last week, um, I've done a lot more of, like, connecting with different autistics and trying to just um, understand their perspective and uh, following more Instagram pages and um, some Facebook pages and just seeing the different content that's put out and... The biggest, I think, change for me that's come about is I, again, I've been creating compassionate and humane practices, in in my opinion, for a long time, but I wasn't probably doing it at the level necessary of like the perspective taking piece of really looking at who are we doing this for? Who is, who is this the benefit of? Is it to benefit the rest of society and like make you seem more normal? Or is it to benefit you and your human experience and your agency of who you are as an individual? Um, so a lot, of, a lot of that has shifted. And I, it was already a big part of what I did, but it's just like way more at the forefront of my work now. And really looking at, you know, um, why, like look, trying to take the perspective as much as I can of the client. Like, why why are you doing these things? Like, what is happening for you? And like, whatever interventions I come up with how are they most beneficial for you? <laughs> um, yeah. And going to um, again honor who you are and allow you to remain the person you are, but also help like whatever skills could be supported so that you can navigate the world and have you know the most um, productive, happy life that you would like to leave. Like live. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's kind of where I am with things right now. But one of there's. I guess i'll save that for the struggle so that's like the simple the simple answer just a lot more of like seeking out like different autistic perspectives and trying to get multiple examples of you know what people are saying um really trying to understand like the the different kind of asks that are coming out of like the actually autistic hashtag and um, and the neurodiversity movement oh one of the big ones i should say for neurodiversity, like I, I, to be honest, I didn't really know what it was <laughs> like, you know, yeah. I, I kind of committed to just not paying attention to it Um, like that. Oh, that's just not something I need to know about. Um, But I really enjoyed Jeff and Joe did a podcast episode on beautiful humans where they kind of dove in on it. I've read various different, you know, people explaining what it means to them. The autism knows no borders um, podcast from global autism project has done a few episodes where the the speakers discuss it as well. Um, and so like, I have a much better understanding now of like what the neurodiversity movement is. So to me, my understanding is the idea that, um, that we should be open to the, the, the fact that there that neurodiversity exists, right? Like our, um, there are various ways that like people's brains operate and there's neurological research to support that. And instead of trying to fit everyone into like a box based on what the neurotypical experience is and like how they would do things or me, because I'm neurotypical, um, we should be valuing and accepting of the different ways that people do things. Um, And so like, for example, that could mean if I'm doing a presentation somewhere and like kind of before I do my talk, whenever that gets to happen again, in-person presentation, <laughs> you know, maybe even like, like saying, you know, Hey, sit, stand, walk around, like do whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm going to be up here presenting, um, and like, make sure it's clear that I'm not going to be like, why is that person walking to the back of the room and like wa- wandering around or whatever? Um, because there's a lot of people, could be ADD, could be autism, could be any number of things who don't learn well just sitting still, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. And instead of just trying to say like, oh, well, you just need to because that's how everyone else is doing it, being more open to like, okay, cool, do your thing, right? Um, And just like accepting that. So it's not to say that like any one type of way of processing or engaging with the world is better, it's just saying that like there's a diverse range here and instead of trying to, to preference one over the other, we should just accept them, right? Um, now, obviously for me, of course, some questions come up around that and I'll talk about that in like the struggles part, but um, I think that's been a huge change is having like a better idea. And what I've, what I've encountered, it feels like with some people, both in our field and just in general that they don't take the time to actually understand what neurodiversity is, like what that movement is about. And kind of like um, some of the other movements that exist, like they just don't, they hear a thing and they see a person speak a certain way or do a certain thing or advocate for a certain thing. And they just get this like assumption of like, well, that's what this is instead of really diving in and trying to understand it. So I'll stop there.
0: No, no, you're, that's awesome. Like I I think part, I mean, just piggyback off that. I think, part of the reason why people see something and then don't engage in it is because like, Oh, why do I need to learn about that? Because it doesn't directly affect my life. Right. However it does, because you are going to come across those people.
1: Right. Um, And you're, you're either going to be, um, the, the affecting your life. It's like you could be contributing to these uh, institutions that create this whole, like, putting um, like a higher pedestal on neurotypical behavior or you could be helping to dismantle those. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. no, I mean like uh, you can, I mean, like you could be attributing this issue, you know, by not engaging and trying to learn more about it. And I think that's where I think society needs to learn. I mean, just take a step back and realize like that, they are contributing to the problem by not engaging with it, or not learning more, or taking an interest. Um, we're not saying dive into research that will take up like you know weeks of your time. We're, I mean, just asking like for you to become more accepting of other people, but also to like seek out more information. I mean, you can bench watch you know, Gray's anatomy for like five seasons. Why can't you bench for like bench or even just take an episode and instead of watching an episode of Gray's, I mean, take 45 minutes and go listen to an educational podcast. Um that's from an autistic person or a um ADH person. I mean, just go and you know, try to do something else that will benefit. The lives of others and also make you a more rounded person too to understand like um the different movements in our society um what i'm mean like i think that's where we as a society, society need to go society needs to go we need to realize like hey there are more things out here than grace anatomy which is an episode that i mean like season that i'm watching right now and i'm totally hooked on it by the way but that's okay. Um, but no, I think I think it's um, definitely for me. Like it's an area that I want to continue to research and look into. I know there's a couple people I follow uh, just that talks about the neurodiversity movement. Um, I know Kaylin, who's I'm going to look up her name right now. But she posted a couple of different things on neurodiversity, neuro and there's actually a book that she just, just suggests to uh, read, which I have on my Amazon list. I actually downloaded it on my um, Kindle, so then I can listen to my audio um, audiobook, so I can listen to it while I'm in the car. But the book is called Neurotribes. Yeah. Um, and I really want. It's. I looked at reviews. It's a lot of people um, gave it a lot of great reviews. And I and I want to dive into that book and just listen more, and become more aware, um, accepting of other um, other um, people's perspectives. Yeah. Um, I like also how you were talking about. Um, When you're at conferences, whenever you go to a conference, you're going to allow people, you're going to be open to people like, you know, walking around or, you know, standing up. Um, That's something that as a teacher, I've done in the past as well. So in my classroom, I know some students, they learn better by doing different activities or how they engage with materials are a lot different. So those are called learning styles. So I accept, um, you know, if you're if you're a kinesthetic learner, I'm going to let you or I'm going to create learning opportunities for you to engage in movement while learning maybe about tectonic plates or, you know, (laughs) you know, let you uh, move around and, you know, talk about the planets and like maybe have a whole game with that. Because some because I know not everyone learns best by me standing up there talking about planets and you writing down notes, it's just not going to happen. Yep. So, um, I think that's an important, um, I, I, like that idea, Megan. I really appreciate you, um, thinking of that as a way to, um, reach out to other people too. Uh, who might not be the best at just sitting down and listening to you talk, even though you're captivating and I love like hearing you and listening to you. Some people might might learn better by standing and walking around and um, learn that way. Yep. So, um, and I think what would be really fascinating too is if um even like if there could be more talks about from autistic people on their experiences with ABA or just experiences in in like schools and have those talks in like in uh, conferences. Like I would I would sign up for that uh that conference in a heartbeat um, and attend that just because I feel like that's something that we don't get the ability to do as much or have that experience with. I think that's something that even colleges need to um, look into is like having guest speakers come who are um, have different types of experiences and share that with students as well.
1: Yeah, I know we talked about that on the last difficult discussions. We did um, one with Jeff and Mari um where we talked about like having inviting autistics to do conference presentations and um one of the things that they brought up that I hadn't thought about is like if you're doing that it has to be done in a way that doesn't make them like a zoo yeah (laughs) exhibit yeah um and they shared like a blog that was written about that but it's one thing to, you know, share, share information, especially if that's, there are some people that like their that's their speaking career is to share what their life experience has been and to teach people based on that. Um, but if you're like solely inviting someone to have them share like intimate details of their life and like people in the audience are asking them questions, um, like Jeff talked about how like someone asked him a question about like his sex life or something. And it's just like, what's, like it What? like I've given hundreds of presentations and no one has ever asked me that question. Right. Like, how would anyone think that's OK? Um, so there's like that balance that has to be found. Um, but it's also interesting to me that, you know, again, as I feel like the bulk of the work that's done right now is in autism and pretty much none of our conferences. I think Arizona ABA has focused a few, um, had a few things. And then um, the standard acceleration society had some stuff, but like, other than that, like pretty much none of our conferences make any efforts to um, to incorporate the voices of the, the clients that we're serving, whether it's autism or anything else. And on top of that, like ABAI even recently in the last few years, it's been like a big deal. Um, if you like have had a chance to attend so what happened was, this is this is wild to me. Um, the whole uh, issue happened a few years ago where um, Dick Mallott, you know, said the things he said at CalABA and then that turned into this whole big thing for ABAI because they were supposed to be honoring him that year with an award and there was a petition to remove it and they did, but then they gave it back to him anyway. Um, but so during that year, they had like this kind of like town hall type meeting at ABAI where they basically were just like, tell us all of your grievances, you know, like what could we do better? And and one of the big things that came up was like accessibility. Like these conferences are not accessible for a multitude of reasons. They're really expensive for one. So for yeah. students, working fa- parents, um, people who have like other like economic reasons for like having economic disadvantages, um, but also for, a different, like different disabilities. Like, you know, if someone's in a wheelchair, if someone's deaf, if someone's blind, like there, there's nothing offered <laughs> at a conference where a lot of us are working in helping to support these different populations. Like what? Um, so even if they wanted to come here, what we're talking about, it's like not even accessible. Um, I will say that they made commitments to improve on that and they did some, what? Um, There's still a lot of work to do from what I had read, but, and I, and I'm hate to admit, but like when those things were brought up, I was like, huh, I've never even thought about that. Cause like, why would I, I don't have any accessibility issues. Like I've never, the only time I ever thought about it was at ABAI in Chicago um, when Jack Michael was there. And it was like, this is probably going to be his last ABAI. He was in a wheelchair. And that conference was so freaking spread out. Like I couldn't even get from one talk to the next with two able, like very able-bodied feet <laughs> in yeah. time. I was like, how is he like, you know, obviously someone was helping to like push him around, but it was like, how is he going to get to these talks? Like, there's no way this place is so inaccessible. Um, yeah. And that was the only time it ever came up for me. And it wasn't even about me. It was observing him trying to get to talks. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, I thought that one is just fascinating to me. And I forgot to mention this. I said it kind of with the diversity, equity and inclusion stuff, but like, I talked about how Ohio state did it, but like nobody does. So, you know, I, I attended a few different presentations, conferences over the last year that were focused on diversity and equity and inclusion, giving people seats at the table. Mm -hmm. Every single presenter talks about race, gender, sexual orientation, (laughs) All of those things, So even some, not as many, but some talked about socioeconomic status, hardly any, maybe one, I can maybe, but it's not coming to mind even what that one would be, mentioned disability. In a field largely driven by disability, like how, what is going on? Why yeah. is this not a thing that we're talking about more? I don't understand. And how are people doing presentations on how our field leaves out marginalized groups these same people who work with autistic individuals and they're not including ableism or disability as one of those groups in their presentations like i just don't <laughs> that to me that just like highlights how blinded we are like how ignorant we are of the fact that this is even a thing we should be attending to and that like mm-hmm. obviously it needs to start in grad school but it's clearly not and then you can you see it play out all the time where it's like i i cannot even under like i was I've talked about this. Like, I was shocked and surprised with George Floyd's murder, and like seeing my black friends share their real life experiences that I never knew about. And like, Mm -hmm. when they did that, people listened, and they were like, "Okay, what can we do differently? How can we do better?" And I know um, this. This isn't like they're not. It's not the greatest to make comparisons, but I'm gonna (laughs) because I just don't know what else to do but then I see autistics speak up about their life experiences and people are questioning them and people are like, well, have you read this article? Have you seen this thing? And I'm not saying that doesn't happen when black people talk about their experiences, but it happens a heck of a lot less. And, and then of course you combine, like you look at intersectionality and like, obviously if, if someone is black and autistic, it's going to be even more difficult to get someone to listen to them. So I'm like, how, why Why is that a thing? Why is it when someone is speaking about their race or their gender or their sexual orientation, our field is so generally like 90, probably 90% of the time open to like figuring out what they could do differently. And then someone is autistic and they're speaking up about their concerns and their lived experience. And it gets questioned and it gets like batted around and it gets pushed around and, and, people just want to throw research in their faces. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that's never happened with some of the other isms and marginalized groups, but it's not like it is with autism. I just don't yeah. get it.
0: Yeah, no, I get it. And, you know, it, it's interesting because like not all disabilities you can see either. Right. So, and like, and it's, and I feel like a lot of people don't even think, um, but then again, like there's some disabilities that like care impairment is so, um, difficult to like really pinpoint, like who has like I have a hearing impairment. I don't hear out of my left ear, <laughs> which is why I'm like wearing headphones. Yeah. Uh, because, um, because I don't need the left side at all. So like, if you see like I have a one earbud, I don't need two. Right. But like when I go conferences, it drives me nuts sometimes because, um, they're presenting and speaking, but I can't hear them because, their mic is not turned up or that's making a weird whistling sound. And like, you know um, it's just interesting because like, I know there's other people out there that have that same experience. They have a disability that they, that's not always visible, but it does affect them when they go into social situations. Right. And no one, I mean, like, and I know I don't raise up my voice about it because I was taught to, adapt and learn and try to adapt for the situation. Um and you know, I I do a pretty good job, but you know it, it's it, it I wish like there's just a little bit more like thought put into like, hey, how could this affect others who have a disability that you know how could this presentation be better uh for everyone if they have this certain disability.
1: Yeah, and that—that's amazing to me, Joe. I don't know. Amazing is not the right word. I guess it's not surprising, but also, why? <laughs> like, why? Yeah. Why were you taught to just not tell people? Like, what? <laughs> like, why would? Why would we not teach someone? Like, oh, you can't hear out of your left ear, so you should tell people that so that you can learn and hear better. <laughs> like,
0: I- so. I, I so my parents always taught me to um look at I mean like just be aware of like how I could you know hear better by like making sure I'm up at the front of the room that I can see your face. Um so I would have to make the accommodations for myself so then I can, you know, so then it wouldn't be so then I could like be more productive and and it's always like i have to do something different so then i can so then i can function in society
1: yeah so which i mean is like kind of what we're talking about right with, yeah
0: with it that. Is, but it like is.
1: i what i don't understand is like what how difficult i mean it's great and i'm not saying like obviously it's good that yeah you that they taught you how to like do those things to accommodate for yourself, but, or, and why not also be like, by the way, you can, you know, speak up and say, I can't hear you. (laughs) Right. Like (laughs) you can advocate for yourself. Um, and, and like request. And I know like, it's this, there's this thing in our field that, or not in our field, in society that seems to exist where it's like the rest of the room shouldn't be inconvenienced by one person. And it's like, or why can't that one person speak up? And like, how is that inconveniencing the rest of the room? You know, like for them to ask, you know, to to turn the microphone up or to to speak a certain way or something like that. Um, Yeah. I think hopefully we'll see. I mean, I've definitely seen shifts in schools and things that not all of them, but in some where they're more open to that kind of stuff. But I just, it's so fascinating to me to think about like um, why, why that exists in the first place that it was, instead of being like, these are the things that are different for you. um, So you should tell people (laughs) so you can get your needs met. um, Instead, you just have to like do it yourself.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't know. I I think part of it is also, we come from a society like back in the day where you're expected to um, adapt to everyone else. And you want to seem as normal as possible. And I put that in air quotes, (laughs) like, you know, I, normal is not, you know, everyone's different. Like there is no normal, Um, but just like you have to, you have to take yourself and get yours. I mean, be in the best position possible to just be like everyone else. And I think yeah. that's just, that's just from society, like our history and society. It's changing, I think.
1: Yep. Thankfully. Thankfully. <laughs> and mostly, but like that's, there's still, um, obviously. There's no so much resistance. work to
0: do. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, that was, it was funny. This is like not related really, but when you were talking about speakers being like turning up their microphone or was like, Joe's never going to have that problem if he's watching me present. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I, no, I, yeah, exactly. I'd never do. Um,
1: I'm too loud. I never
0: do. Unless it's the, unless it's the equipment's fault. Um, but I
1: usually don't even need a microphone unless it's like a really big room because I just project yeah. my voice so much. But anyway, that's a whole different, yeah <laughs> different thing. Um, okay. So then the last thing that I thought we could talk about is, Uh, like what are some things that we've identified that we still need to learn? Or is there anything that like we've been learning about that we're struggling to grapple with or we have questions about? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
0: I think I'll go first. I I think like for me, and I might piggyback off of you uh, after you present too, but I think like for me, it's just um, learning more. I mean, just diving more into the neurodiversity movement and finding out ways to even more ways just to make it more like their voice is being heard. Like what can I do to really allow their voice to be heard? What can I do better to um not be the problem? And I know part of that is by learning but i mean and by accepting their differences but i feel like i don't want to be in the acceptance stage for long i want to be also doing i mean in the action stage um where we're taking action as a society um towards um making sure people are included making sure that um uh, we do things differently so then there is so then they don't feel uh so like autistic people do not feel left out or any of the different neuro, neuro uh diversity movement um areas um what do you think megan what's what's on your plate
1: oh man I feel like there's so much so it's like anytime I learn um the different things it's like new stuff (laughs) like oh now I need to learn more about that but so these are some of the things that come up for me um one is like family the family the parents right so there's a lot of the um the issues that seem to be discussed right now, at least online, there's a lot of shade thrown at the parents. And it's, that's a really been difficult for me to grapple with because I'm a parent. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I, as far as I know, I don't have a neurodiverse son, but who knows? He may, may end up with an ADD diagnosis someday. Um, And I just know how much, how difficult it's been just with him to like ha- find self-compassion, like, how hard it is to just be a parent when you're like responsible for yourself, but also another human. Right. Um, So like, I think a lot of the things that I talk about, um, you know, with, with having curiosity and compassion and taking the perspective of the child um, like I I struggle with when I see people that are, um, you know, advocating more for disability um, that are, potentially part of the neurodiversity movement or, or, you know, whatever bashing the parents. Um, because to me, it's like, they don't know a better way. Like, let's look at society. You, You, everyone in this movement is talking about, um, how ableism is pervasive. Like we all have to confront like things we didn't even realize were ableist. And like, just like um, any other of the isms, right? Like it's a constant work in progress. It's constant improvement, constant changing. So when, um, when someone has a child and it's like this society exists around them and they're learning history of, of deficit based, um, woe is me. Like this is how hard life is, um, is just kind of what exists. I don't know that going after the parent is the best way to like shift that. Now I'm not saying that excuses anything or, or, um, or that like the, it doesn't need to be addressed. I'm just, it's very difficult for me to watch how it's sometimes being addressed by some people who are very vocal in, in the work that they're doing to advocate for autistics, especially like they might be autistic or they might be an ally, um, but when it turns into bashing, well, really bashing people, period, <laughs> but especially yeah. bashing the parents, because I just don't really see how productive that is. And like, we all are living a, a human experience. So like, um, you know, to me, it highlights the, the lack of resources, the lack of education that the parents are receiving on how to accept and value and love their child. And that doesn't mean they don't, I'm not saying that, but like if what um, is kind of out in the public light is how difficult it is to have a child um, with whatever disability, then there's there, there are things that need to be given to that parent to help them work through that, right? So -hmm. that they don't need to post publicly about how difficult it is. But just parenting in general, you can go onto any Facebook page and you're gonna see parents complaining, just broadly speaking about how difficult it is to be a parent. So the idea that that would ever go away and like everyone's gonna have their different values around that also, like it doesn't make someone like a bad person if one of the ways they cope and navigate being a parent is, by talking to people about it. Um, now, everyone, again, is going to have their different perceptions about that. Like, well, what if your child saw that later? Or what, you, what you're putting out in this public limelight, if your child mm-hmm. saw that, are, can are you good with that? So like all the things I post about Taylor, um, Blake would never, like, he's just not public like that. But I would never put something out that's like embarrassing for him. Or, you know, over time, if he told me it was, mm-hmm. I would make sure to, to get rid of it. Um, But there's probably like, there's a lot of people who would probably say like, Megan, you're putting too much information out there about your son, but it's like one of the ways. And if if he tells me not to video or take a picture, I don't right. like I honor that. Um, But there's just like, we all have different values. I don't know around that, but the bigger piece of it with the parents is um, this kind of goes to one of the things I want to learn more about too. And it's the strength-based planning in social work, especially there's such a focus on strength-based planning and strength-based assessment. So that's one of the things I'm working on for this year is trying to like revamp um, our assessment process to have more of a focus on strength-based instead of deficit-based. And I think like when, you know, as behavior analysts, when we're working with families, that's one of the big um, places where we could be impactful is helping them, um, we come in and we focus our like intakes and our assessments around all the things the kid can't do and all of the hard things that exist and we spend very little time on like recognizing the the strengths and like the things to praise about someone you know so i think um just if we commit to shifting that then that helps shift their frame and their perspective right and that's one way to help a little bit but overall I would, I would like to see um, people have more compassion for the parents. And instead of attacking them, um, coming at it from an angle of like, you know, by what you're posting here, things seem to be difficult. Here are some resources, (laughs) right? Here are some ways you could see your child in a different light. Like, I don't think there's any, any problem in making that argument of like, what if your child read this or like, how, like, how do you think it makes like when autistics, read what you're saying about your autistic son. And then they, you know, they all feel that, right? Like, Oh, this is what people think of autism. Like there's that needs to be pointed out and named and like, as this is problematic, but then to bash the person on top of that, I don't see what benefit that's having and like how that's going to shift the person into engaging in better ways. Like what's their replacement behavior.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean like the, like, even for me, like just thinking now, like parents, like, parents I work with, I mean, a lot of them are very aware, but they still struggle like even with, you know, just trying to get like, they're like, a lot of them focus on like trying to get the right services for schools even, and you're adding something else to the mix. So like, and they're just trying to do their best as parents. Yeah. And, and it's like, it's just, and I really have a hard time understanding why you would bash parents. Um, because a lot of them are coming from a good place and they're just trying to do their best yeah. with what they're given. And right. some of them just don't, I mean, do not have the education that um, that's an, another parent might have. I mean, and, it, and you're fighting that too. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't like the idea of bashing parents and I do struggle with that. Um, but also there was something else that you brought up, but, um, just about parenting and, uh, and I had it, but I just lost I just kept it. I talking no, and
1: talking. <laughs> okay, but, I'm talk-
0: but that's okay. Because like, uh, I, it will come back to me, but I, it, it's just, I do struggle with like bashing parents and, um, how, how, I mean, and just like, oh, it was about strength based base, uh, language and, I think the pro the issue the struggle with that is just insurance companies, because you're coming from like when you're working with them, you're also coming. You have to discuss the deficits. They want to hear right. the deficits, not the, not the strengths that this show has. They don't want to hear about how much progress they have been making.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that um, there's a way to balance that, you know, with what gets sent over to the insurance company, um, but then the the conversation and the framing we do with the families, mm-hmm. right? So there, you, could, you can accomplish both, I think. Um, but, and that, like, you know, there's been research to show that um, having, like, the, especially moms, there's the research of, like, the amount of stress they're put under with raising um, a child with a disability. And I understand, like, For years, the focus has been on how hard it is for parents and like that, like if I were the person with the disability um, and I was seeing all of that, like that would be a very negative experience for me. So I'm not trying to discount that, but I just, I hope to see a way to point out those issues so that we can all learn and do better. And still understand that the humans (laughs) that are experienced, like they really are like, like it or not, it still is as stressful as being in a war zone. So given the current supports and resources in place, so that sucks, but that's the reality of the situation, but that shows how many more resources are needed and like how much better framing and like how much we need to change as a society. It doesn't mean that this person who is just trying to do their best, it should be told that they need to be like, you know, killed or something, right? Like that's not, it doesn't justify that. So um, that is one piece of, and I I know like it's such a small number of people that do those things, but it's hard. I I definitely get contacted frequently when people see that I'm doing more to support um, the neurodiversity movement and like amplify autistic voices. It's, and this is, so this is my other ask. For people who, for whatever reason, aren't on board with that, listening to your clients, um, don't assume that everyone in the neurodiversity movement is acting like that. Like the vast majority of the people are exactly what the movement talks about. The neurodiversity is uh, something we should value and accept. And, you know, we're all living different experiences. Um, So, like, I, I think that's a problem too, where people who who haven't really followed the movement or whatever are like just pushing it aside and like you know oh well these are just mean people that like you know (laughs) don't understand others or whatever um and of course unfortunately some of the parents that I'm thinking of that are like influencers and whatnot um aren't necessarily making the problem any better because instead of um I understand it can feel good to like share, you know, this is the, this is the crap I have to take for like supporting my child or whatever. I, but again, I don't see what that's accomplishing. (laughs) So like, why, why are these like turf wars or like these like divisive battles happening when like the focus should be on how each human can like live their best, most fulfilled life. Um, So if someone's Mm. like throwing shade at me, like I could throw shade back at them or I could just be like, you do you. And like, if, if there's something I could learn from what they threw at me, I'll change whatever I need to change. But it doesn't mean I have to throw shade back at them and like create more of a problem, you know? Um, I just like, it's like, who's gonna take the higher road? <laughs> um, and and just mm-hmm. like, look at this growth aspect and like, what what are the things we can learn? And, and so I guess oh, there's so many so many more things I could say, but I'm gonna I'm gonna try to end it on this. So, in terms of um, I ju- I think I think based on what I've seen that all parties would agree that the goal is for each child or adult or whatever um, that is autistic or part of any other um, diagnosis of any sort to have agency to be independent. To be respected, to um, be given like given opportunities to self-advocate and the skills to self-advocate instead of suppressing those, which is sometimes what our interventions do, and to really take their perspective and look at: Are you doing with this person? Like, is this with them? Is it um, you know for their benefit? Is this something they actually want? And then um, great. Or are you doing things to convenience yourself and like the rest of society yeah. and to like normalize stuff? Um, no, I guess I shouldn't say like all parties would agree because I think there's still a large part of our society that hasn't really understood why the like normalization part is problematic. But all like the the short like piece of it of like each human should have their own agency <laughs> and like get mm-hmm. to live the life they want to live. Um, I think everyone should could be on board with that but the, the, where the issues come in is like within that, there are people who engage in very dangerous responses where they're harming themselves or they're harming others. And what needs to change though, is how we talk about that. It's not, um, we shouldn't be talking about it in like such a negative, like how, how difficult it is for the people around them, but it should be more like wow, if this is where they're going with things, like how are we failing this person? Like yeah. what are what are we doing um, that's like resulting in this stuff happening? And like, how can we shift that? And like, again, going into more of that strength-based piece. So yeah. I guess like I'm hoping for a day when behavior analysts, um, people, whether they're behavior analysts or autistic or just uh, in any field, and any part of our society, for any diagnosis or any disability or any different way of living could just accept um, that everyone is going to be, have like a different experience and give people space to live the life they want to live in a safe mm-hmm. way. <laughs> yes. That's yes. not and I think that's ask, is it? <laughs>
0: no. And I think that's fair and that's right. And that's what we all deserve is the space to live the life that we want to live. Um, As long as it's not harming other people, as long as um, you're doing things that are safe, I feel like we should be able to live our life the way we want to um, and be heard. And yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Megan.
1: Well, we'll see.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. I mean, uh, like, well, like we said, like beginning, like this is coming from a part of us wanting to do better and learn more. And we are, I mean, I, I still feel and we are modeling this conversation for others.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, And what what you
1: say or what I say, isn't necessarily like the answer. This is just where our thoughts
0: are. This is just our thoughts. And if someone has a different opinion, I mean, we're more open to listen and learn from you and, uh, have a conversation because nothing's going to ever get done or nothing's ever going to get changed. If we can't have a conversation and be open to each other and come from, I mean, learn from where you're coming from, because my experiences in my life are different from your experiences. Um, and the only way that I'm gonna know, know any different is by listening to other people or engaging in a conversation about what those differences are and how we can go about, you know, changing our opinions or uh, how can we how can we make this life for everyone much better?
1: Yeah. You're going to be disappointed, Joe. But while you were talking, I thought about one more struggle that I'm having. <laughs> so, um,
0: Megan, that's fine. It's fine. I, I,
1: I know, but I feel I, like we both said like really good closing things there. And then I'm like, oh, we need to get another thing. Um, so the the other struggle that I have and that, like, it's kind of like, I don't know, this elephant in the room. I don't even know why I didn't think like why it didn't come up when I was talking before, but obviously is like, so what's the role of ABA then? <laughs> Right, like if if most of the things (laughs) that we've been trained on and taught to do does seem to be more about like a normalization type thing, where it's like, well, most people act this way, so we're gonna help you learn to act that way too. Um, Like, so what? What's the point? What are we doing? Why are we here? Um, I see that kind of come up a lot, and so this is where I am with it. It might shift in a few years. People might think not, they might disagree with me, but that's one thing I I hope people will take away from this episode is that we it's, it's good. It's okay for us all to have different opinions and perspectives again, but I would like it to be in the framework of being respectful and like, um, open and curious. Right. So just because like, I might say what I'm about to say, and Joe, you might disagree with me or like one of the listeners might not agree that's, that's, that's okay. (laughs) We don't need to like get upset with each other about it. Um, We could point out like, and this is why I say I might shift. Like I might share what I'm going to say. And then someone else might say like, well, have you thought about this? And then I might say, no, I hadn't, but I still, this is where I am. I'm not changing. Right. Or I might say, no, I hadn't. And that's a great point. And now I need to shift. Right. Um, We all have different values that we're living our lives based off of. And, um, and we have different ways that we're going to approach things and that's how innovation and progress happens. And if we're all going down like a certain silo and just like all like, oh, we must think this way, that's going to be problematic at some point as well. Um, so anyway, but this is where I am with like, so what's the point of ABA then? So, um, well, as it comes to like autism, right? Like obviously ABA is a science and there's a million different applications. I'm focusing on autism. Um, So for me, it's my role is to, um, is to first, again, doing more of like the strength based piece, engage in perspective taking and really look at like, okay, giving this person agency and autonomy, what can I do um, that they're like, Wanting <laughs> help with, right? Um, like, how can I best support them and like navigating the world based on what they're expressing? Are their their needs and their goals? And if they're too young to do that, then um, then my goal, then the point would be to do that with the family and like the, the stakeholders. But from the perspective of, we're here to serve this child. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like again, from that perspective of, we are. Um, here to help them have like their best autistic life,
0: <laughs> not yeah.
1: their best masked neurotypical life. Right. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and, and without forcing my values though, on the family, if I mm-hmm. had a family come to me and I said like, at my role as a behavior analyst is to um, really with anyone, like whatever goals that, that the learner has is to set up environments to achieve those goals. And if the family was like, well, we want our child to X, Y, and Z, and it was like a bunch of like masking neurotypical stuff, I would say, well, that's, that's not, those aren't the things I work on. <laughs> that's not yeah. what I address here. Um, so, you know, we're gonna have to refer you to someone else, but it's, and I can try to give them resources and explain why I do it that way. And like what, where I'm coming from, but it's not my role to like try to force that on them. Every again, every yeah. family is going to have their own values. Just like if I was working with, um, doing parent coaching with like whatever families, and and you know their kids didn't have any diagnoses, and they had different values around um, like discipline, and you know there's helicopter moms, and there's free range moms, and there's this and there's that. Like it's <laughs> not my job to like judge and like say like oh, you're a helicopter mom, you should be a free range mom, or you're a this and you should be a that. It's, you know, the what are the goals for this ecosystem for this unit? And do my values align in a way that I can help support that? Um, If Mm -hmm. not, then I'll have to refer you somewhere else, right? Um, And I think for so that's for me where things come in. Um, But I don't go like, there's, there's kind of like some to me that are like, there's like some extremer, more extreme approaches where it's like, and the same thing happens with parenting where it's like, um, you're, you, you always, you you don't do anything unless you have like full on permission and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, especially I thought age five was going to be easy, but man, Taylor, (laughs) it's like, he's like two again, but with the attitude of a teenager, and the strength of a (laughs) five-year-old, you know, like no matter what (laughs) I've done to like help support him and making choices and like having a strong, loving relationship with him, like that stuff's going down and I'm sorry, but there are moments where we've had to like pick him up and move him along. Right. It's not our go-to. It's not what we're going to start with, but like he, we're, that's just where we are. Um, and there's parents who might judge me for that. There's parents who might judge me for not doing it sooner. Like everyone's going to have their judgments, but it's like, this is the this is our units and this is like how we're approaching things um so I, I share that from the angle of um, same thing for being a behavior analyst like if if families have their different ways their different units and like how they're operating and what their own systems and values are, it is not my job to come in and judge that and try to take it to some sort of extreme based on my own preferences and values what whatever that extreme might be it's my job to do what the best I can, again, to help have the best autistic experience and give like education and resources. But if the parents choose and say, well, like like X is still gonna happen or Y, then at that point I have to make a decision of like, okay, well, I'm not the best fit for your family then. Yeah. Or maybe I still am, I don't know. It would depend on the situation. So that's that's one of the big things like that I really grapple with and I see come up quite a bit. Um, So the last piece I'm gonna say on it So just as an example, like in the past, if I was brought in to like work on something, um, say for example, like escape related, challenging behavior, uh, initially I would do, I would have done like more of like the seven steps and like help, you know, make sure we're being fun enough and like there's motivation and all this kind of stuff. And then when the learner like doesn't want to do the thing, we would, you know, kind of hold out weight, all that kind of stuff. And then it, you know, we're not forcing them through anything. We want them to choose to learn blah, blah, blah. Now though, it's more of like teaching all of the very, like thinking about like, if it were me in that situation, what are the different things I might be doing? I might say, no, I might say I have a headache. I might say, Meh, I'm not really feeling this right now. And especially as like a full blown adult with a job and a child, there's things in my day that like I don't do. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, I'm like oh, I have emails to answer but I'm not going to do that right now or I need to get this thing done but mm, I'm going to wait for a variety of reasons and I have the skills like if somebody were to ask me I could explain it to them. But a lot of the times autistic or not children are just expected to like do this stuff that like yeah. adults are never expected to do and it's like how are we expecting a 5-year-old to like navigate stuff that like a 30 year old doesn't like, why does that seem to make sense? So from the role of like, instead of, it wouldn't just be like, um, this is the way it is. You have to do it. Like I'm shutting down the environment until you do the thing. It's more of like, okay, like, let's talk about this. Let's come up with a plan. Let's coach. Let's see, But like here, do you need these self-advocacy skills or you needing some things to help you cope like some ice or a drink of water? Like, and it's really building up. So there's so, so many skill repertoires that still need to be built, but they're built around self-advocacy and teaching how to um, navigate and like address whatever physiological emotions are coming up. And like, how do we, um, you know, when I'm feeling really stressed, like how do I bring myself down from that? And like, what, what things can I do to support myself? there's so much that can still be taught. And truly when you look at the DSM and that if you're providing medically necessary care, the symptoms of autism, like that's all the stuff, (laughs) like that's the stuff (laughs) that we should be addressing. Yeah. We're over here with like these laundry list of things from assessments that we've been given that we're supposed to be teaching. Instead, if we focused on those things, a, we'd Mm -hmm. be more in line with, what the DSM is saying needs to be addressed anyway, but B we're setting up a broader repertoire of like skills for life. Right. It's not like this checklist of like, Oh, you can man, you can tact, you can do it's, Oh, you can advocate for yourself. (laughs) You can tell people when you need something, you can walk away if something's too loud. Right. Um, so anyway, I thought I was going to be faster than that, but that's where I (laughs) know.
0: I love that. Like, and that's, the big elephant in the room, like, you know, and I and I agree with that. It's like I feel um like there's our there's gonna be 16-year-olds that's not gonna to want to put away the dishes right then and there or um to clean up their room when when you're told. I mean, like there's like things like that just makes me like, yeah, no, that I don't even do that. I don't wash the dishes. I let them in the sink for like maybe a couple hours, maybe a day <laughs> or two, you know? Um, so why are we expecting someone that's in their teens to do that? You know? Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, and I love how you brought up the point about assessments too. And I would love to see, I mean, I can think a couple off top of my head that's similar, but is there any kind of assessments out there for ECBAs to use that really, gravitate more towards like self-advocacy or more towards these skills that um, that would take into consideration of what would be best to live out uh, the best artistic life?
1: Um, there might be in like disability studies or something that I'm not familiar with, but I haven't come across anything yet. I that, but that's part of the work I'm doing. So what I want to do, and it's I'm putting it out there, world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I told people here, like Jen knows, but I haven't like broadcasted it fully. So hold me accountable by December. Um, hopefully sooner. I what I'm working on is taking things that are more from like social work or parenting, um, neuroscience that are focused on these types of things for just children. Period. Um, And then putting that, like coming up with something that we could use in our, in designing our interventions with our autistic clients or any other clients. So it won't necessarily be research-based, but like none of the, hardly any of the assessments we use are, so, um, (laughs) but it'll be derived from things that have been researched and shown to support um, those types of skills. I would say like Warner, Leland, and August um, are probably... Um, August Stockwell, they're probably two of the people that I would guess. If something existed, they would know about it. And then, of course, a lot of you know the autistic self advocates and things like that probably know. And that's obviously going to be part of the work I do. Is I want to pull all of these resources together and then work with um, some of the people I've met over the past year to you know review what I've come up with or, or contribute um, to that so that we can come up with something to help um you know it's it's not that a, like our science is so powerful and we can teach yeah. such amazing things but like if if we're being told that some of the things we were originally now let's keep in mind when when Lovas did his original study and picked the skills that were going to be taught that was just he just pulled that right like he just you know, maybe the parents said they wanted it or whatever, but it was all arbitrarily chosen, right? Like that these yeah. are the things that need to be learned. Um, it just so happened that when those things were learned um, on the surface, it appeared that it, it, it was a better outcome for half of the people, right? So Yeah. And nobody ever talks about the other half, by the way. <laughs> That's a whole separate situation. Maybe we can have an episode mm-hmm. on that. But that was on the surface. And, you know, since then others have, there's been debate about that. Um, but that, just because our history was, those are the things that we designed our skill acquisition around does not mean our future or our current present has to be that way. Right. Yeah. If there are actually autistics telling us like those aren't things that that we're concerned about, um, we should be listening to that. And there's also The concern that, you know, there are potentially um, individuals that maybe, you know, again, it's not the autistic experience, right? So like there's going to be different preferences and different skills. Um, So it's not saying like, oh, well, this one autistic Instagram account said X. (laughs) So there we go. Um, But it's, it's getting those multiple exemplars so we can start to have a better idea of like, oh, these are the types of things. Um, or, you know, really, really, really closely observing our learners free operantly and seeing like, what yeah. what are they trying? Like, what are things that like where their goals are going? Like, what are they trying to achieve? And how can we help them get there? Um, as opposed to just coming in with our list of like, well, these are the things people told us we need to teach you, you know? Yeah. Now, obviously, yeah. it's going to be different if you're working in a school setting. And that's, again, could be a whole separate podcast too. Like the education... Yeah. <laughs> education in the United States needs all sorts of reform, but, um, but it, you know, if you're in a school setting, your, your hands are a little bit more tied around like what the state or whatever is saying needs to be taught. Um, but it, especially if you're working in like in the home or in the clinic, and this made me think of, sorry, one last thing that came up has come up as a struggle for me um, that I'm, I've mentioned before is a skill deficit that I'm definitely probably my biggest one is this the whole understanding around like intersectionality so, um, uh, Joe and Joy Johnson, they're, um, they did a podcast episode with beautiful humans and I'll put that in the show notes as well, where they talk about the intersectionality. So, um, one of the things they pointed out is like a lot of the, the voices that are so, um, amplified right now from the autistic community are white women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's not necessarily going to be representative of like all the diverse voices that exist um, around, you know, what preferences might be or like things might want to be taught. And like one of the big examples that tends to come up a lot when looking at, um, I think Joy might've mentioned it in the podcast, but like if you have like a black autistic son, there are probably going to be some masking things that have to be taught. So your child is not shot and killed by a police officer. Yeah. Right. Just like any other black Child, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that. There are things that, as white people, we don't have to worry about for our children, and, yeah. and and so like allowing one voice to speak and just like you and I are just two white voices speaking on yeah, like what we've learned right now. Well. And there's going to be different perspectives. Um, So I think like if you haven't listened to that podcast episode yet, I highly recommend. Um, Beautiful humans did the one. They've done two on neurodiversity, and then they did that one with uh, Joe and Joy. And I just learned so much from it. So making sure when you're listening to different perspectives that you're including a diverse range of folks um, and, and that it, you you truly understand they don't speak for everyone. So mm-hmm. your commitment, your framework, or at least for me, is I'm here to try my best to understand the human in front of me and give them the best life they want to live and not even give them, but like help support them in obtaining the best life they want to live. Um, and and so I can, some of my like attempts to understand their perspective are probably going to be informed by some of the autistics that I'm following. Like, oh, I wonder if, um, but it, I'm not like blanketly like, oh, this person said this. So this must be what's going on for you and what you want, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that and you brought up a good point that, yeah, beautiful humans is a podcast. There are tons of voices on podcasts that you can listen to that um, they give their experiences of being autistic as well. Now, I think that's a great um, avenue for someone that's busy to constantly go back. I mean, like to in order to learn more is to take a podcast and start listening to this one person and then every other day I mean every day just change up the person that you're listening to. Just get a wider range of um, the scoop of of how they feel and um, just be and hear different voices. So that's that's on my plate this week it's like I, I want to do that this week.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, we, I thought, I was like, I don't know how long we're going to (laughs) talk.
0: We we talked for probably what, two hours? Yeah.
1: We already made our closing remarks before I made extra points. So um, go back and listen (laughs) to those. But no, do you have any, um, any closing thoughts, Joe?
0: No, I think we hit a lot of great points. And then we have action steps that I like to, I I like, I mean, like, what's your, I mean, like, we talked about different action steps that we're going to take. Um, and if you, and if you thought that those action steps are something that you want to partake in, please do. And then or let us know if you have additional about,
1: action steps. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, additional. Um, maybe even um, give us your feedback about your experience with the action steps, or like um, what your plan is, or if you heard something on this podcast that made you really upset or angry please reach out to us and talk to us. You know, we're only two humans be, human beings that uh, we make mistakes too. But the only way we're going to learn is by making mistakes and having a conversation about that and what we can do better. So
1: awesome. that's all I, I have, so.
0: Megan. No problem.
1: <laughs> Perfectly said. I don't have anything to add. So we hope everyone will go forth on their quest to do better.